stand out tonight, so if you'd take your Bibles, please, and if you didn't bring a Bible, that was unexpected. There are Bibles in the pews under, underneath. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this evening, a very familiar portion of Scripture to many of you, I am sure. Just a word uh, immediately following the service tonight. would like to have a very brief meeting with the Sunday School Executive Committee. Sunday School Executive Committee, very brief meeting after the service up here by the organ. Uh, shouldn't take long at all. Tonight we're going to be uh, looking at passing down our faith from one generation to another. Uh, this is in keeping with our theme of reading the Bible through in a year. It's going to be one of the applications tonight. But uh, we want to emphasize the importance of Scripture in passing on our faith. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find that our faith is to be active. It is to be an obedient faith in Deuteronomy 6 verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. And now here is the active faith that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. So the word of God is given to us so that we might obey it. Not simply that we might know it, that we might memorize it, that we might be familiar with it. It isn't given to us so that we can be whizzes at Bible trivia. It is given to us so that we would, in fact, heed the Word of God. Faith is to be passed down through the generations. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son. Obviously, it doesn't intend for it to stop there, but the thought is that as grandparents... You have a responsibility not only for your own children, but for your children's children. And if you are fortunate to live long enough, then you bear responsibility for that fourth generation as well. But we are to be assured, uh, to make sure that the faith that we possess passes on from generation to generation. Next, a faith that endures a lifetime. End of verse 2. All the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So we want to be assured that we finish well. That we are people who die in faith, die in commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we don't wander, that we don't move from our commitment to him. So the question is, how do you achieve all these ends? Israel is to stay true to God in the promised land. Notice verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. And then notice the last phrase. In a land flowing with milk and honey. Be careful, be sure, that when you go into the promised land, a land that is filled with milk and honey, a land of great blessing, that you don't forget the Lord. Notice Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, 
houses full of good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then notice this admonition, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Be careful not to forget the Lord. Prosperity is a dangerous time. All too often, people forget God in times of prosperity. Now, not everyone does, to be sure. Job did not. But there are more examples of people who did forget God in times of prosperity than there are of examples of people who did not. One of the most notable individuals, of course, is Solomon. All his wealth and all his prosperity, and uh, he had quite a period of time in which he wandered from God's commandments and his faithfulness to God. Uh, We need to learn how to handle prosperity. Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians, I know both how to be about, uh, I know both how to uh, be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to be full and to hunger. Uh, and how to be full and abound and to suffer need. We need to know how to handle bad times and good times. You might think that it would be much easier to handle the good times than it is the bad, but I submit to you that just the opposite is true. It's easier to learn how to handle the bad times than it is to learn to handle the good times. For example, in the uh, Lord's Prayer, you know it, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now let me ask you, when are you most likely not to pray for your daily bread? When you have it or when you don't have it? And why would the scripture tell us to pray for our daily bread when the most common experience is that you have bread today? I submit to you it's so that we don't take it for granted. That we just don't assume that we will always have what we possess. That we constantly are reminded of the fact that the daily bread I have today is a result of the goodness and grace of God. And we don't presume upon tomorrow even though we have a storehouse of bread for tomorrow. That we don't get to the place of complacency just because we have money in the bank. Or we think that We finally have arrived in life. Most of us are still trying to get there and don't believe that we have arrived. But there is the rich man who built barns and and, uh, finally said, uh, I've got everything I need. And the scripture says, thou fool tonight, thy soul is required of thee. Uh, So we, we need to be on guard in times of prosperity. Wealth that has not been worked for can be ruinous. So too, spiritual wealth that has not been worked for can be a ruination. 
what God intends to be a blessing can actually turn out to be a hardship. There are great truths that are learned through hardship. For example, when the children of Israel were fighting the battles that were necessary to conquer the promised land, that once they got in that land, they quickly forgot. In the book of Judges, it says, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in the mountain of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there rose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which his, which his hand had done. It's almost inconceivable that the generation that outlived Joshua, they continued to serve the Lord. But that next generation, after Joshua had died, and after those that had outlived Joshua died, that next generation wasn't serving God. How quickly, how quickly the tide can change. With that in mind, I sometimes fear, not often, because I think of the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God, but I am conscious of the dangers that could be present and wonder what our church will be like 70 years from now if the Lord tarries. What will our church be preaching? What will our church be teaching? Will it even be in existence? Will we have prepared those that are coming after us to take up the mantle? In the book of Revelation, this idea, once again, that prosperity can ruin us, in Revelation 3.14, it says, And to the angel of the church and lay it as he a right, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. What I were that you were cold or hot, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit out you from my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. To become lukewarm, to become indifferent, to become apathetic. Not intolerant or antagonistic to the things of God, nor fervent and sold out for the things of God, but just kind of ho-hum in one's relationship with God. 
There are a lot of blessings associated with having to make commitments. One of the things that concerns me about 70 years from now is every generation, I think, needs a challenge. It was good for our church to go through a building program in which we were challenged in our faith. Uh, I remember um, Jack Herb Sr. was a great encouragement to me in that period of time uh, because we had taken on this, this project and uh, over a million dollars for a small congregation in that period of time, that was a bit scary. And uh, I remember sitting down and talking with Jack Sr. One, one day in his living room and he said, Pastor, he said, that's nothing. He said, I can remember when I was writing checks, he was the treasurer, he said, I'd write checks and not even know if they were going to bounce or not. Years ago, uh, he said, God is faithful. God will see us through. And he was right, and uh, we paid it off. I remember when every year the budget is a challenge, and uh, this year, it's a challenge. We're running behind budget. But the bottom line is, we have $250,000 in the bank. It wasn't that way 15 years ago. It wasn't that way 30 years ago. We had just enough money in the bank to pay our bills. And yet, somehow, I think we worry more now that we have $250,000 in the bank than we did when we had almost nothing. And we look and we say, wow, we're not making budget. What are we going to do? It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to become complacent. It is so easy to take wealth for granted and begin to take confidence in the wealth rather than in God. So it tells us that we are to remember not to forget. Don't forget the Lord. So what are we to remember? Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That there is one true God who is to be worshipped and served with our whole being. Deuteronomy 6.5. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, that God is to be having absolute supremacy in our total being, in our emotions, in our intellect, in our desires. We are to be totally sold out to God. There is a reminder Deuteronomy 6.4, the famous Shema, Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Meaning, there is only one true and living God. All the other gods are false gods. They remember that when they go into the land flown with milk and honey, and there are people worshiping all these other gods. And the admonition in verse Four is Israel, the Lord is 
our God. And so that worship of God is to be passed on down through generation to generation. Uh, Each generation is not encouraged to choose for themselves a religion, to choose for themselves what it is that they want to believe in or whether or not they want to follow God. We are to follow the example of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a decision not only for himself, but for his family. The world calls that indoctrination. It's not. It's passing the truth from one generation to another generation. We don't tell our children, decide for yourself what two plus two is. We teach them that two plus two is four. Because there is a living and true God, we don't say to our children, believe in whatever you want to believe. We teach them that there is one true and living God, and we instill within them our belief and faith. So how are we to do that? That's all introduction. The answer comes in these next verses. It all has to do with the Word of God. First, the Word of God is to be in our hearts. Deuteronomy 6.6, and these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. I submit to you that that means they are to be embraced, that they are to be lived out, and that they are to be readily received. I also submit to you, in order to do that, we need to be familiar with it, thus reading our Bibles, and we need to memorize it. And let me just say something else about memorization, since I said some things this morning that uh, may have taken you a bit aback. Um, How are we to memorize Scripture? Let me tell you some of my mistakes. And I I said to you that I went through a period of time where I just kind of threw up my hands and said, I can't do this anymore. What led to that? Uh, Let me tell you what I did, and it turned out to be, I think, pretty foolish. Um, One of the things that I did was um, the scriptures that I had memorized down through the years had been in the King James Bible. And uh, then we switched to the NAS, and then we switched to the ESV. And so what uh, I did when we were in the NAS uh, is uh, I continued um, memorizing the King James, because we were only one generation from that. Then, when I anticipated we were going to um, switch to the ESV, a couple of years ago, I just put the King James on the shelf and uh, switched in my own devotions and in all my study to the ESV to become more familiar with it. Uh, and then what I sought to do was I tried to re-memorize some of the classic portions of Scripture from the King James to the ESV. I already had them memorized, now I try to re-memorize them. That turned out to be a horror. Uh, I just started 
fusing these verses together. They'd be kind of King Jamesish, kind of ESV, and they weren't accurate. And I found that to be really, really futile. So uh, what I did then was just tr- tried to memorize the new verses in the ESV, verses I hadn't memorized. But even though I hadn't memorized them, I still was very familiar with them in the King James. And as I tried to memorize them, I was having the same problem. And so, I said to myself, you're not getting anywhere with this. And so I decided to go back, and everything I memorize, now I memorize from the King James. That's created two problems. One, because we don't use the King James, I have a tendency not to quote scripture anymore. I did this morning because I wanted to do kind of an illustration, but uh, I don't have it memorized in the ESV, so I don't quote it. But I have it memorized in the King James. I didn't primarily memorize scripture so I could quote it publicly. I primarily memorized it for my own benefit and development. So I'm still memorizing the King James. And I say that because pick a Bible and stay with it. Whatever it is, pick a Bible and really get to know that Bible. Get to know that translation. There's certainly value in reading other translations, etc. But really, really familiarize yourself with one and memorize from it. Secondly, the Word of God is to be taught to our children. Notice verse 7. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Note how the Word of God is to be taught. Diligently, it says. Uh, The word literally means precisely with insight. You are to teach it accurately, and you are to make the right application. At all times, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It's a continual thing. Family devotions are great. I commend them to you. Have family devotions. But that's not enough. 10, 15 minutes a day in the Word of God isn't what this passage is all about. This passage is about from sunup to sundown, day in and day out, in all of life's affairs, you are interacting with your family about the Word of God and showing them how the Word of God is addressing the particular decisions and issues and concerns of life. You are to teach your children how God's Word comes to bear upon what they are doing, their decisions. When they come to you for advice, when they come to you for counsel, when they come with you with tears, you should be able to help them understand how their faith is appropriate, significant. When a child is afraid of the dark, it's helpful to realize a sovereign God is there to watch over us and protect us and has no problem seeing in the dark. And you teach accurately. I would not encourage you to buy a baby Jesus doll and have your 
child go to sleep with a baby Jesus doll. You know they do make such a thing. I didn't make that up. That is idolatry. You don't want them to learn to cling on to a baby Jesus doll. What happens when baby Jesus gets lost? What happens when baby Jesus is forgotten? Jesus is with you all the time. He can't be lost. He can't be forgotten. He also can't be seen by five-year-old eyes and by 90-year-old eyes. Teaching accurately the Word of God and applying it to their hearts and minds. Thirdly, the Word of God is to be a symbol to remind us at all times. Take steps to remind ourselves of the importance of God's Word in all that we do. Notice Deuteronomy 6, 8. And you shall bind them as a sign. As a sign. As a tool for remembrance. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets on your forehead. Verse 9, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Jewish people took this extremely literally, and they had what were known as phylacteries. They would actually bind portions of God's word to their hand. They would actually wear a frontlet on their forehead. They would put the scripture on their lintel, on their doorpost. They did this in a literal fashion. The imagery here is that you put the word of God on your hand so that you are reminded in everything you do, every act that this hand engages in is to be under the authority of the word of God. Every thought that runs through your mind is to be submissive to the authority of the word of God. You are to remember that God knows your thoughts afar off. He is aware of your words even before they are on your tongue, Psalm 139, so that your thoughts are submissive to the word of God. It's to be on your doorposts so that when you enter your house, when you leave the house, it's all under the authority of the word of God. I think that we too should take this literally. I think that we ought to, in a symbolic way, have the word of God displayed in our homes. Um, Everything from Bibles laying around to perhaps plaques. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Memorabilia, whatever the case may be. So that they serve as reminders. Two that come readily to my mind uh, as a child. My mother was the one in our household that really memorized the scripture much more than what my my father did. And uh, I can remember quite vividly the kitchen in our house. And uh, my mother used to handwrite three-by-five cards and place them on the windowsill in the kitchen. Her windowsill was right above the sink. And my mother would memorize scripture 
as she did the dishes. And as a kid, I can remember walking through the kitchen and I would hear my mother repeating over and over again the verse that was on the windowsill as she was doing dishes. That was important. I can remember vividly my father sitting, reading the scriptures, my mother sitting and reading those scriptures. They are symbolic, but yet they are genuine examples of commitment to the word. So I say to you, I think it's really important that our children see us reading the Bible, see us memorizing the scriptures, see us living out before them the reality and vitality of our faith. And then lastly, we need to be on guard that the word of God is not crowded out of our lives. Notice verses 10 through 12. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Watch out in times of prosperity. Sometimes I get a kick out of listening to people that are older because there's a tendency to forget. Uh, I can think of people that are slightly older than myself that will talk about when they were young people, they didn't have any credit card debt. Guess what? They didn't exist. Not too much temptation to have credit card debt when it didn't exist. There was a generation that pretty much when the church doors were open, people were here. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, And people will reflect back and say, wow, you know, in my day, when the church door was open, people were here. If we're not careful, that's like the credit card debt. Because there wasn't any place else to be. You know, historically, what was the thriving point of the evening service? where the evening service really came into existence, there's really a a cultural phenomenon that's associated with the Sunday evening service. It's the electric lights. All of a sudden, there was electricity, and there were lights. And the one place that there was light was the church, And people would go to church out of a novelty because you could be there in the dark and let there be light. 
I'm, I'm honest with you. Okay. And so that generation was there as much for the novelty as it was for the word of God. And there there wasn't things going on. When uh, I was growing up, um, Wednesday night was a conflict for me for sports. Sundays never were a conflict on sports. Because there weren't any. There weren't any. There were no games played on Sunday. When I say no games, there weren't high school games. There weren't college games. And there certainly weren't all of the local community games. Pickup games, maybe, but that was it. Okay? But now, you see, there are all of these opportunities. We are more prosperous, and now there is a plethora of opportunity. And it becomes a challenge to us. It's not hard to be here every Sunday night if you have no place to go. But if you got money to be on vacation and you can travel and you can be away, now all of a sudden there's a choice that you're faced with that you weren't faced with when you didn't have any money. And you couldn't afford to go anyway, so I might as well go to church. Business can be a temptation. As your business prospers, you might find it more difficult to be away. My brother and I are quite different. And sometimes people will wonder and say to me, you know, it's odd. You, you, you and your brother grew up in the same house, in the same family, in the same household. And there's truth to that, and then there's non-truth to that. My father was much more committed to the things of God in my life than he was in my brother's life. I'm nine years younger than my brother. When my brother was growing up, my dad was in the process. He had uh, been a farm manager. He'd managed two different farms. And it was always his dream to own his own farm. And uh, he had to start from scratch. He had no money. He had nobody to back him. He had to buy the farm. He had to buy the cattle. He had to buy the machinery. He had to buy everything. Nothing willed to him. He had nothing to start with. And my dad worked like crazy. And uh, he finally fulfilled his dream and bought a farm. He milked 70 head of cows. That was before there were milking parlors. Okay, he, he did use electric uh, milking machines, but they were hand, and you had to carry the milk. Uh, there were no pipelines and, and all of that. 
He milked 70 head of cows, and he farmed 200 acres of land. And he did it with just himself and my brother, and then later himself and me. And he milked twice a day. He'd start milking at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he would finish at about 8 o'clock. And then he had to start milking at 3 o'clock at night, and he'd finish at 8 o'clock. And then in the meantime, he had to feed the cows. He had to do all the, the, the farming of the farmland. He had to do all the other things that are involved with farming. And so, when my brother was growing up, for most of the years that my brother was growing up, my dad didn't go to church. He always made sure that my mother went and that the kids went, but he didn't go because he didn't have time. We never, ever went to Ms. Grove. Everybody thinks because of my age they tell Ms. Grove stories. I've never been to Ms. Grove because we couldn't be away from the farm. Never been there. Never experienced that. Finally, my dad started getting his priorities right. And what he found out that he couldn't do, amazingly enough, he found out he could do. And that is he could attend church Sunday mornings. He worked like crazy to make that happen, but he did. He, he was attending church Sunday mornings and uh, attending church faithfully Sunday mornings uh, all the time that I was growing up. And then eventually he sold the farm, and then his life changed dramatically, and then he was going Sunday nights and all the other times as well. Why do I say that? I say that because I believe my father always loved the Lord. Because it was a priority that my mother got there and that we got there. And my dad would talk about the things of the Lord from uprising to downsitting. And he used to love to sing hymns, and he'd sing hymns. But I can't help but wonder if my brother would have grown up with my parents in the same stage of life that I grew up with my parents, if my brother wouldn't have been different. I say to us all, let us be careful in our prosperity. It's easier for us to be involved in a thousand and one things, to be moved and torn in so many directions. Just like now we have credit cards, it's easy to put money on credit cards. When it didn't exist, that wasn't a problem. But now that they do exist, it is a problem. Now that there are these opportunities, now that there is so much more that we can do with our evenings, with our mornings, so many different places we could go, so many different things we could engage in. And now let me bring it back because it's really tonight about the Word of God. Don't let busyness choke out your time. 
for the word of God. There is so much to do. And the pressure to do it is immense in our society. I said my dad worked hard, and he did. And he did. But come 9 o'clock at night, he was done. There's only so much you can do without daylight. And he was done at 9 o'clock. But you can be answering emails at 3 o'clock in the morning. You can be online. You can be on Facebook. You can be working from home. You can work around the clock. You can work double shifts and make all kinds of money. The opportunities to be busy today in good things is incredible. And then there's all the other stuff that can easily take up every moment you've got. You can always have music with you. You can always have stuff to read, watch, entertainment, 24 hours of the day. You can stream stuff. You can be on YouTube. There's just no end of material. You know, I can remember as a kid watching TV, and then all of a sudden, it would just go beep, remember? And then quit broadcast. How many people can remember that? Okay. I don't think there's a station anymore that does that, is there? Has anybody ever seen where you stay up late in the night and it goes beep? No. You know, I mean, it's, it kind of even seems nonsensical that you know, there was a time in which they quit broadcasting. Why? Because everybody was in bed. I'm telling you, things have changed. It's a different world. It's a wonderful world we live in. Don't get me wrong. I'm not negative. I'm thankful for the prosperity that we enjoy. All I'm saying is it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it can choke out the word in our lives. Make it a priority. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to make your word a priority in our lives. Help us to understand the day and age in which we live. We thank you for the many blessings and opportunities that abound. And at the same time, Lord, help us to guard against these things choking out our vitality. But help us to make the tough decisions when it comes to what we do and how we respond and how we act in this land of prosperity that we enjoy. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.